Maria taught us to start at the beginning. She said, it's a very good place for us to start. When we read, we began with ABC. When we sing, we began with But what about when you Christian? Where is a very, very good place for us to start? When the Lord is so good to you and to me to open our eyes every morning, to put life into our bodies, where should we begin? What's the first thing that we ought to do? What foundation should we lay upon which we can build the entirety of our day. That foundation should be praise. It should be blessing the Lord. As those who seek to be devoted disciples in this world, and I think that's the longing of our hearts. As those who seek out to live, who seek to live out our exile here in this world well, Praise must be our first priority. Praise must be our first priority. That's what I want us to talk about as we return this morning to the first Peter, first letter that Peter wrote. So I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles, if you take them now, look toward the end of your New Testament, find the first letter of Peter, and when you found your place there, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, here we are, your people, gathered in your presence indwelled by your spirit, with your word before us. Father, we pray that you would take your word, break it as the bread of life to us, feed and nourish our souls through it, we pray. Help us love you more because of it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Look with me, if you will, again at the first words of verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The NIV reads, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The New Living Translation reads, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless God. Praise God. After Peter makes his introductions in verses 1 and 2, and before he writes any content in his letter, Peter pauses to praise. Praise comes 
before everything else. And bear this in mind. The people who received this letter, the people that would hear this letter read as they gathered for worship are people who are already suffering. Already they are being persecuted. So pay attention then to this pattern that the Apostle Peter sets for them and for us. Peter doesn't first address the circumstances. He doesn't set the suffering first as the focal point. He doesn't lay the trials as a foundation. No, first Peter praises because circumstances change. They change for these people. They change for us. God does not change. There is no shadow of turning in him. He changes not his compassions. They fail not as he has been. He forever will be. And so the foundation we must lay every day, no matter what the day, is praise. We must begin by praising the eternally unchangeable one. And so this morning, we're going to consider two questions. Number one, what is praise? And number two, why is praise? So the first question, what is praise? We're going to look at two characteristics of what praise is. And here's the first characteristic of praise. It is fresh and it is fervent. Some commentators say that what Paul writes here, Peter writes here when he says, blessed be God, that he's just using a formula from an Old Testament Jewish prayer. And of course, the Jewish people had sayings like this, blessed art thou, O Lord, our God, king of the universe. Well, I'm not going to weigh in on whether God inspired a formula here or not. But if God did inspire a formula, it's not a thoughtless one. It's not as if Peter was saying something thoughtless, that Peter was looking for a filler, something just to say until he could move on to what was really important. No. If it's a formula of the Old Testament... Now it has been infused with and it has been made fresh and fervent by the reality of Christ. And that's what we see when we look in verses 3 through 5. In the Greek, these verses are all one sentence, one ongoing gush of the glorious truths about who God is. You heard me when I was reading it. You, you can't get your breath. It's almost as if Peter can't catch his breath. It's as if Peter can't write quickly enough of all that pours out of his heart about God, about Jesus, his Savior and friend. After 30 years, 30 years of being a devoted disciple of Jesus, Peter's praise is still fresh and fervent. The truths about who God is still put a fire and a passion in Peter's heart. He has not lost the luster of his love for the Lord. You know, when Jesus was 
walking along the beach with Peter after he had been raised from the dead. Jesus asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus said to Peter, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This Jesus said to show what kind of death, by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. Peter writes this letter 34 years later, probably a little less than a year before his own death, which Jesus seems to indicate is going to be by stretching out his hands on the cross as Jesus did. But still, listen, knowing what's coming, knowing what's been looming over his head, this reality of Jesus for 34 years, Peter still praises. And his praise is as fresh and heartfelt as when he was a young man, newly following Christ, and even more fervent than ever. And so I would say to us, praise must be the foundation of every day. No matter what lies behind or what may lie ahead, praise should come first, and it should not diminish over time. I know it's easy to skip the praise, to rush through it, something obligatory, because of the tyranny of the urgent in our lives. Our needs tyrannize us, do, do they not? We're eager to get on with the Lord about the things we need, about the things we want, but don't skip the praise. Discipline yourself to attend to it. Praise is like a, a spring that feeds itself. It always has a fresh source of water. The very act of praise, listen, the very act of praise is what keeps it fresh and fervent because praise keeps Jesus always before our eyes. And that's what we're going to see as we move on to the second characteristic of praise Praise must flow from the truth of who God is. So praise must be fresh and fervent, and it also must flow from the truth of who God is. The Greek word blessed that we read in verse 3, it's not an imperative. It's not a command. Praise God. Not at all. It's an adjective. Now, I know that you know what an adjective is, but it never hurts to be reminded, should you have slept through grammar class? That's what my students always did. <laughs> That's another story. Here's the def uh, dictionary definition of, for adjective. It's a word or phrase naming an attribute. It's a word or phrase naming an attribute and added to a noun to modify it or describe it. For instance... My wife's name is Kathy. If you've never met her, 
You would know her a little better if I added an adjective to her name that describes her. Chatty, I mean charming, charming Kathy. Did I say chatty Kathy? Charming Kathy, charming Kathy. To praise God, to bless God, is simply to name his attributes. Praise is to describe God to yourself, to describe God to others. And that's why praise is always fresh and fervent. Because we can never contain in our finite minds, at any one point in time, all of who our God is. Infinite, eternal, and unchanging in his being. So praise is actually an act of the mind. Your praise and mine. It's a discipline of our mind. The thin can overwhelm our emotions. It's a discipline, but it can overwhelm our emotions. Now, our contemporary church culture has made it the opposite. They've turned praise into something that first seeks to move the emotions. I cannot even keep up with the number of people who have said this to me through my life. Well, I only go to such and such church for the praise and worship. Or they'll say, well, I usually leave after the praise and worship. And by praise and worship, they mean the singing. And while I praise God that I think this is changing in our world, for too long, praise songs have been about me. I love, I feel, I need, I want, me, 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 I, 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 Lord, me, me, me. Better much? No, I'm not just kidding. (laughs) But if we apply what Peter's writing here, we know that praise is about the Lord. Praise is, Lord, you are, you are, you are. Certainly, it's appropriate for us to respond in worship, to feel in worship. But true praise flows from the truths about who God is. So, if you follow that logic, the sermon, if it is God-focused and Christ-centered, it's not separate from, it's not other than the praise and worship. It is the praise and worship. The Lord's table that has Christ as the center of it. It is praise and worship. And I'm only zealous to say this because I've seen what people have given up. I've seen how they've declined spiritually because they equate praise and blessing God with things like a a rocking praise band. Nothing wrong with that. But that doesn't make praise and worship. They equate praise with finding a euphoric feeling for themselves. Now listen, praise is not about our feelings. No doubt. Our feelings and emotions will be overwhelmed by the truth of who God is. But first and foremost, praise is not about us. It's about saying alone when we're in our closet It's about saying aloud when we gather together for worship who God is. Listen to Moses' song. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Then Moses spoke the words of this song until they were finished. 
in the ears of all the assembly of Israel. He says, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herbs. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. And on and on it goes. Did you follow that? It's the truth about who God is that waters the soul like gentle rain on tender grass. Proclaiming the goodness and the greatness of God. This is praise. David writes in Psalm 29, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory to His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The heart of praise is attributing to God. Attaching to the Lord all those attributes that make Him our glorious God. And that's why praise must flow from the Word of God that tells us who God is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why praise, this focus on God, must be the foundation, the starting point of every day, the good days, the bad days, the joyful days, the sorrowful days, the easy days, the difficult days, the painful days, the pain-free days. All days are days to worship our God. C.S. Lewis writes this, this idea of praise being a discipline. I tend to find the doctrinal books often more helpful in devotion than the devotional books. And I rather suspect that the same experience may await many others. I believe that many who find that, quote unquote, nothing happens when they sit down or kneel down to a book of devotion, would find that the heart sings unbidden while they are working their way through a tough bit of theology. I I love that. The heart sings unbidden. There you have it. You and I don't have to coax our heart into singing. We don't need a a worship leader to get us worked up. Not when we adjective God. Not when we ascribe to Him all that He is. Your heart and my heart will sing without us telling our hearts to sing. Sing unbidden. That's what the heart of Peter's doing here. Jesus is before His eyes and His pen is attempting to keep up with where His heart is leading Him. Our heart sings when we contemplate and wrestle with the deep truths of God. Sinclair Ferguson writes, The rhythm of the Christian's life, and all of our lives have a rhythm. Our days have a rhythm. The rhythm of the Christian's life is always determined by the principle that when the revelation of God and His glory is grasped by faith, the response is to return all glory to God. Now listen, I never know how y'all take what I say. It's just not possible, really. To, if, to know if you're picking up what I'm 
throwing down or not, but let me just say this. My intention is not to to tame uh, the praise of God or the worship of God or to rein it in in some way. Look, I'm a lifelong Presbyterian. 60 years, 60 years a Presbyterian. (laughs) Y'all pray for me. In August, not yet. But you know, I've heard cold, lifeless worship and limp and languid singing defended by grim-faced people who say, well, our joy is just too deep for expression. No, I don't buy that. I never did. You just value your propriety more than fresh and fervent praise. I will say the truths about God draw a response from us, an emotional one. Sometimes joy, joy breaks out when we praise. Sometimes tears flow in worship. I was recently told of a pastor who said, if your church isn't crying, then your church is dying. See, sometimes our hearts weep over and break over the the great truths about God. We have a physical response. Sometimes our hands go up in praise and supplication, in yearning, in blessing. And sometimes our hands go together to clap for some beautiful truth about who God is. We find all of these emotions, all these actions in the Psalms. Sometimes we fall on our knees or we fall on our faces in light of who God is. But they all come in response to who He is. Praise flows from studying the Word of God. If you want your praise to be better, if you want your praise to be more satisfying, if you want to reach your heart through praise, then study more the Word of God. And so question one, what is praise? It's fresh and fervent And it must flow from the word of God. And finally, and much more quickly, take heart. Let's answer this second question. Why? Why praise? Two reasons. Here's why we pray. First, we praise because we need a big God in a big scary world like ours. We praise because we need a big God in a big scary world like ours. I've already mentioned that the people to whom Peter writes are already suffering. And that's one reason that Peter writes to them. And so Peter begins with praise as we must begin with praise. Because God must be growing bigger and bigger and bigger in our hearts and our minds. If we will ever be able to make it through even one day as a devoted disciple. As an exile making our way through this world, Peter is going to write some challenging words to us exiles in this letter. He's going to write some extreme words, such as you and I should rejoice in suffering, that we should be holy as God is holy, words that seem nearly impossible for us to obey. Peter's going to write some uncomfortable words that put us in conflict with our world, particularly when he lays out the roles for the home and he makes them gender specific. Peter's going to call people to submit to the very 
authorities who are causing them to suffer. And so you see, we have to have a big, powerful God to empower us to be what we are called to be and to do what we are called to do in this world, to react as we're supposed to react as believers. Praise makes God bigger and more powerful to us. And so before we face those things, and Peter faced them, and before we attempt to obey, and Peter had been required to live a life of obedience, we must praise And when we praise, when we remember the attributes of God, it's easier to believe what the angel told Mary. You know what he told her. For nothing will be impossible with God. By placing praise first, it's almost as if Peter is saying, all things will seem impossible if you have not praised first. See, with praise, God waxes. Before us, without praise, he wanes. To wane, in speaking of the moon, means to have a progressively smaller part of its surface visibly illuminated so that it appears to decrease in size. Wax means the opposite. It means to have a progressively larger part of its surface visible illuminated so that it appears to increase in size. So think of it this way. Praise is simply illuminating God so that we see more and more and more of him and he gets bigger and bigger and bigger to us. So why praise? It makes God bigger before our eyes. And as I said, in this world, we need a big God. Do you believe that? You know your life right now. You know what you're facing. If you want God to be bigger, if you need God to be bigger in your life, then make praise the foundation, the starting place of your day. When you praise, the problems wane, God waxes. Little wonder that Peter begins with praise. And then secondly, why praise? Praise is the greatest evangelistic tool that you and I possess. And I know you, all, most of you all. You have a heart that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that's why we often refer to the corporate worship service as doxological evangelism. Evangelism through praise. What can be more powerful than watching people while they praise their Lord, to hear you all read the call to worship, to hear you profess what you believe, to hear you sing his praises. I'm telling you, it's powerful. Many choose to make worship about the seeker. But I say with complete confidence, you can't outpower The power of people who are praising their God. You cannot outpower the power of people who are praising their God. Let the unbeliever watch. Let them question, what is this? What is this? It's so strange. But it's so real. And it's so beautiful. 
So we praise because we need a big God. We praise because others need to see how big our God is. To see how he has powerfully changed us and to know that he can powerfully change them as well. I'm going to conclude with this. You ready? Tertullian was a church father. He lived from 155 to 220 A.D., very beginning of the life of the church. And Tertullian said that the corporate amen of a gathered congregation was like a thunderclap. Before I finish, could we make it thunder with praise in here? I want it to thunder. I'll make the statement. You respond with that thunderclap of an amen. God is good. Amen. God is glorious. Amen. God is great. Amen. God is gracious. Amen. For from him are all things. Amen. Through him are all things. Amen. Back to him are all things. Amen. To God be the glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we praise your holy name, your goodness, your greatness, your glory. For indeed, from you, through you, and to you are all things. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.